This is It's PR Darlings, a podcast all about the dark arts of public relations, publicity and all things media. Back in 2013, I was watching the different players in different areas of the industries making media, but everything that was in it was Kardashian, Kardashian, Kardashian. Join us to learn more about the world of PR and how it can help build your business. It's it's a real problem in media that nobody is truthful about the messages the consumer wants to hear. A six-year-old doesn't want to be sold a vanilla Fiji holiday that's being sold to a 23-year-old who's looking for a flop and drop. And if you're just starting your PR career, then come along for the ride. We're speaking to all kinds of journalists, producers and industry professionals. They're not reading for the same purpose when they're in digital as they are when they're staring at a newspaper turning the page. My kids call us boomers, even though we're... Oh, yes, mine too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So rude. All the time. Oh, you're such a boomer. Yeah, and I try to say, no, I'm a Gen X, I'm not a boomer. I had this conversation yesterday. I'm Greer Quinn from Forward Communications. And I'm Jo Stone from Sticks and Stones PR. And together we are your PR darlings. 50% of alcohol is purchased by 16 pluses, right? <laughs> so it's not us with young children, it's, right? It, it yeah. is not. And it's a per capita spend, right? So you've got to think about how much more high quality products are purchased by this demographic. It's a very different demographic demand cycle. Welcome to its PR Darlings, I'm Jo Stone. And I'm Greer Quinn. Our media jargon gem for this episode is PTC, or piece to camera. This is a very specific TV term that has a particular style. And there are some really good ways that you can add value for journalists by helping them with PTC ideas. I've actually worked in a few newsrooms where they actually have competitions for the best PTC. So really thinking outside the box can have many benefits. And as always, stick with us. We'll have those tips at the end of today's chat, which is with the Australian businesswoman who is leading Australia's largest digital media brand for the over 60s. Rebecca Wilson was watching her parents on the road to retirement when she realised that this was a generation that was being forgotten in the marketing pie. So from humble beginnings in a bedroom at home, Rebecca has grown Starts at 60 into a powerful voice for the baby boomers and a platform with almost one and a half million users each month. In 2019, Starts at 60 was the Australian winner of Startup World Cup and went on to America with winners from 40 other countries vying for a million dollars in prize money. Not bad for a business built in a bedroom. The power of this generation is content and product consumers shouldn't be overlooked. As PR professionals, it helps to have a good understanding of not only the range of outlets, but also their audiences, so you can tailor your pitches appropriately. So we're really keen to delve further into the Starts at 60 juggernaut with its CEO and founder. Welcome to its PR darlings, Rebecca Wilson. Hello, guys. Rebecca, as a marketer by trade and a journalist, you've had this random idea to grow an over-60s brand. Where did you even start? Was it a a website or a newsletter? Um, So back in 2013, I was watching the different uh, players in different areas of the industries making media um, and looking at the media being made for my parents and watching my parents walk around with an iPad on their hip reading media but everything that was in it was Kardashian, Kardashian, Kardashian Um, and it really was uh, sitting back from it as a marketer that was working with clients who wanted to talk to this generation 
and knowing there was nowhere that was consistent or reliable to speak with them through. Um, so it became, I guess, something I had a hypothesis. So I started a little blog. I started writing for the audience and gathering an audience. I think it started with $5 Facebook spend a day Wow! Um, to grow the audience. And they wrote, they read the content and they signed up for the site and Fantastic. they read again and read again. And, and really it was the right time to do that. And gradually the $5 grew to 10 and then 60 year old bloggers jumped on board beside me at first. And that was a really beautiful thing to have content from over 60s and to curate that for them um, and bring that to life online. And in terms of what the market was actually doing in 2013, what other than the Kardashians, which we off, we see a lot of now <laughs> too, don't we? Um, what, what else? What else was kind of being pushed through to them? So it was a really different world, right? You, you've got to see um, that news, news, major news publishers were still believing in print to their heart and soul. They were absolutely determined that the internet was not going to win. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're in an era where Facebook was quite new for this generation. They were getting on there. They were uptaking it through 2013, 14, 15 was their big wave of uptake um, for an over 55s market. Um, and and that, that media content on there wasn't proliferate for this generation, speaking about things they're interested in, the topics that, that are engaging and helpful for them. So that, that has shifted a lot. The news industry is readily speaking to this industry now, to this consumer now. So we don't, um, we don't, we don't have to be the same as we were when we started. We, in fact, know that we play a role in building and, and driving a voice for over 60s, but that we have to be there for the marketers and the brands that speak to them as well. And we have to get the right goals and achievements for those brands. So our job is to sit between the consumer and the brands and curate a conversation. It's very interesting, actually, because that generation, you know, they weren't young when the internet came out, but they were cottoning on to Facebook and iPads, as you were saying. But maybe at that point, they weren't really feeling reflected in those mediums. Why oh, that's should, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And why why shouldn't we dismiss this market? What what have they got going for them? Oh, um, oh would you yeah. like some data? Let me unveil to you some really cool data. Okay, <laughs> hang on. Let me give me a sec. I've got a slide that can tell you all of it. This consumer is 50% of private wealth in Australia. Um, they control 46% of Australia's disposable income, 94% do research online before making significant purchases. 64% of motor vehicles are purchased, new motor vehicles are purchased by this demographic. 55% of all leisure travel spending is, is in this category normally, and that's got pent-up demand written all over it when, when we come back into this phase. 50% of alcohol is purchased by 16 pluses, right? <laughs> so it's, it's not us with young children, it's, right? It, it yep. is not, and it's a per capita spend, right? So you've got to think about how much more high quality products are purchased by this demographic. It's a very different demographic demand cycle to a young person who has a disposable fashion cycle, who has a disposable alcohol cycle, who has a disposable, they're spending low amounts of money on high frequency. Here you've got mid to high amounts of money on mid to high amounts of frequency. Mm, so can you can right. you run us through what, so what, as a result of that, what was your business model? Because you've got a number of arms of this business as oh, well, yeah, don't you? Yeah, it's been really hard to find the right one. <laughs> 
So, <laughs> so we came in as a media business. That was in an era when digital media was running sponsorship models um, and I think the whole industry has has had to see an awful lot of change. Um, I'm blessed that I have, um, I guess, been adaptable because I think you wouldn't make it if you weren't adaptable in this market. The programmatic revenue models came in. You had to be a master of how to make digital performance revenue out of those things but everybody thought they would be the key to digital media they were actually the destroyer of digital media as a business model and we saw everybody affected by automation of advertising um, we do it we we offer it we offer you know tier one um programmatic advertising with 85 percent viewability and i can run all the buzzwords off in in how to have a high performance media outlet by the media rules, but we realised very much very early because I'm a content marketer that you had to educate and inform a consumer and show them trustworthy partners. So we had to be very curatorial of the partners we worked with um, and then to develop content that would help consumers navigate tricky areas of their life when they're 60. Um, That business model has allowed us to get to where we are today, but it also allowed us to test and learn in some industries where we knew there was a spending power. If you can look at that that set of metrics I just talked to, um, you know 55% of leisure leisure travel market is bought or 55% of leisure travel is bought by the over 60. We worked with some of the biggest travel brands early on and they didn't have a really firm hold on how to convert a consumer online. So we had a, a knowledge of how to move a consumer through the funnel and how to get them to click an ad or, or a piece of content, but there was nothing to do on the client's website that would actually pick them up and have them convert. So we had to take control of that problem because otherwise the advertisers would come and the advertisers would go and they say, your consumer doesn't buy travel. And I can tell you that's rot. They buy travel. Uh, yeah. Travel companies just didn't know how to curate the right products for, speak to, and then serve this consumer. So we, in four years ago, started a, a travel marketplace after trialing, and at first we tried to be a gateway to 35 different partners, and we moved $180 million worth of travel leads through talking about travel, curating good deals with partners. But then we realised 60% of those leads were never, never followed up, so the consumer ended up without good service. So we ended up having to open a travel business that built product for them and sells travel to them. So uh, you're still drawing well. you're still drawing them in with with news and content. We call it content to commerce, um, and we do a lot of content now that is aligned with the conversation. And it's no different to the travel section of the Korea Man. To be honest, they're taking a booking from Fiji tourism. They're pointing to ads about Fiji. Um, they just aren't the company doing the curation because they have lots of companies curating product for the newspaper, our demographic doesn't have a lot of companies curating for it, if that makes sense. So the products aren't right to the consumer. So we've had to be the product curator as well as the content curator. It's been a really, really hard game to figure out. Uh, Now we're at at a point where when travel slid backwards, do I say it politely in COVID? (laughs) (laughs) We were in mega growth at that point about travel oppression which is in the same building as our media operation and it takes the ads on the media operation, right? So we don't work with retail travel companies. We only work with operator partners who will help us curate, who will bring us great product and great deals for our consumer. And those deals are what we serve our consumer through. Um, and that that fell backwards for us. So we had to find another way. So we ended up building an e-commerce marketplace that now gathers all the online retail 
companies that want to speak to them through one marketplace and provides them the ability to speak to our consumer online and for us to navigate getting that purchase converted because the user trusts our platform better um, and our content voice. It's really interesting. Did you find that in the beginning um, that over 60s were maybe a little bit slower on the uptake to spend online through e-commerce sites? So we have never really had a big advertising base in FMCG or um, product because our, probably because our ad prices were too high for them to get an ROI um, because the effort in content marketing is expensive, right? It's hard. You use quality writers, you do quality work, you, you can't afford to do it at a really cheap price for an $8 hairspray, right, or hair dye. So that type of brand is looking for something that's going to drive thousands and thousands of purchases off one picture in the paper, yeah? And that, that model didn't work for us in, in advertising. So we, we found ourselves more aligned with professional services companies and uh, banks and, and people who had this consumer in their eyeline at a big end where they were selling them a $400,000 product, um, like a bank loan or a, a caravan or a, you know, all those types of products. And, and you know, the, the smaller end actually missed out on our consumer. They don't speak to them very actively. Fashion companies never really advertise with older people in their pictures. But I can tell you now, six-year-olds buy fashion. Um, so for us, we developing a marketplace was actually last year's project and um, it was only a punt. Somebody had said to me, hey, you know how to do this. Why don't you do it for e-commerce? Um, and we went, mm, yeah, sounds sensible. Why don't we give it a try? And in the first three months, the consumer just tore off with the products we were offering. We, we curated into areas where they used to read the media, areas about health and well-being, with products around things like, can I, can I make you laugh? Areas like bunions and orthotic footwear and yeah. things that are the needs and the wants of the baby boomer, right? The problems of a 60-year-old, not the problems of a 40-year-old being flogged to a 60-year-old, which is where most advertising sits. And as we curated more and more, like we did in travel, the consumer started to go, wow, every time I get an email from you with product and content on it, you're helping me solve one of my problems. And you have a product that I can buy that has been chosen um, and sort of tested. Especially for you, yeah. Yeah, and so for us, that's our voice. We really look for suppliers and, and brands that have products we can curate up, tell stories of. There's beautiful products in there like, a Kunzia cream that my mother-in-law worships, which helps her arthritis pain. And 49% of our users say they have arthritis. Arthritis doesn't go away. So you're constantly looking to ease that pain. Um, it's better so off you knowing see- the needs and wants of your consumer and serving it. So would you say that you still run Starts at 60 as a traditional newsroom? Because that's what you started as originally. And you have an, a whole team on staff, don't you? Mm, yeah, we do. Um, our traditional newsroom has right-sized itself, can I say? Um, because the reach, the reach opportunities in media have changed as well. The saturation of the mass media industry, the advertising dollars that are available through what I'd call news-aligned um, content has just caused us to normalise what that part of the business does, it entertains the consumer, right? That's what news does. It entertains and informs. For us, the, the ABC and some of those companies do have the, the budgets that are required to serve deep investigatory news that we just could not sustain as a business. Um, and, and because the Facebook news and, and Google news negotiations continue to be ongoing uh, for small publishers like us, whilst big publishers that have money in their pockets, you're very much caught between having to fund it yourself um, with no government grants and no support 
um, doing that as a business. And, but you and still have, been, yeah, you we still, still have, have journalists team. on team, don't you? Oh yeah, yeah. No, we have seven journalists on team, and we have a pool of about twenty-five freelancers that we work with. Plus, we have about a hundred over sixty bloggers, and our team is very curatorial. We will write the news that is relevant and interesting to the baby boomer today. That team comes in every morning and and starts the news cycle like a news team would. Then we have the features cycle, which is very much driven around our two other pillars. Um, which are just coming into our site in the next couple of weeks but are already actually operating um, in the tree, which are our retirement guide and an area we call the lab, which is product testing uh, with over 60 voices, experimenting and experiencing different products and, and telling the stories of them a bit like good housekeeping would. So where would PR fit in all of that? Like how can... Um you know, public relations people come to you, do you come to you with story ideas or pitches or products yeah. or how Absolutely. would that work? Absolutely. PR slides beautifully into the retirement guide um, where our operation is about the problems of the baby boomer. Um, if, if you think from our perspective where um, we're looking for the solutions and we are not the voice of the solutions, the solutions have experts tangled up in them most of the time and that's where PR really loves us as they want their solutions talked about through an expert voice, whether that be um, retirement planning problems that consumers have. And experts pitch us stories all the time, both through PR and directly, um, for our team to write or for their team to work with us on contribution stories. Um, And we work on a bit of both. We're always working into serving and solving the problems of the baby boomers so that we're very mission-focused and it doesn't just become stories for stories' sake. Um, if we're doing those, they're in our in our news and entertainment pillar. Um, and yes, you can also pitch into there. We're looking for good facts to write about, good uh, anchorage um, that the consumer will be interested in the news news and entertainment pillar. So the PRs, in a way, they become collaborators in your on your platform. At, at, with uh, are you talking imagery and videos as well, or is it mostly just the content that you're looking at? So increasingly, and, and we've just, um, we are launching in three weeks, the retirement guide. The retirement guide, I was telling Joe about it earlier today, is, is in fact a brand integrated offering. It's the only way we can bring the quantum of expert voice into our platform to help solve the problems because we aren't financial planners and we aren't, um, I guess, funerals experts or or wills and estates experts. And those voices have to be authentic, trustworthy, well curated and planned. For us, there's about, we're starting with six big issues or problems of the baby boom with the retirement guide. And those voices that we're working with, with PR and marketing of brands are developing into the the content that we believe the baby boomer needs. So our team is doing all the features planning. They're doing all the features editing. They're working with different voices to either interview and create content ourselves on our side and sometimes those are contributed as well. Joe and I are also really interested on how you're collaborating with some of your followers and some of the over 60s that are co-producing content for you as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that works? Yeah, I guess it's the other pillar of our voice. So a lot of our team aren't 60. We do have some some throughout our our (laughs) building. Um, It's just how digital businesses are built these days. Um, but the, the, the blogger has been with us since the very, very beginning. Um, we have a couple of different blogger voices. We have a blogger editor that works for us who organises our bloggers 
and she takes pictures every day of the week from our, our 60-year-old bloggers to pitch stories across retirement, health, lifestyle, even just family issues and things, which just keeps the conversation flowing. And then we have this new pillar of the lab, which is about being able to allow a 60-year-old to judge a product and try and see if it works. And for us, that's something that brands can come to us and say, hey, I'd like to give you these samples and these products and and let somebody have a go. And we've found a pool of, of professional 60-year-old um, freelancers that work with us um, to, to test and try out product and write good content that's meaningful to the 60-year-old the audience. You see it commonly in other publishers. It's funny, that type of content is is where Adore Beauty and brands that are really doing commerce now are going. Um, you see that in magazine content, but it hasn't made it over into digital very well, except in places that are very specialised to sectors like beauty and fashion. Um, and it's really combining, I guess, a blog voice with a media voice because the blogger has a different way of speaking about product to an independent news voice. And Starts at Sexy, you you actually have a lot of um, sponsored content and you have advertorial opportunities as well. Can you just explain for our audience the difference between those and, and why you're actually making the distinction between the mm. two? Yeah, it's been a really confusing thing even for the internal team over the years. Oh, um, yeah. Ad, ad, sponsored content is where our team writes it and we interview and create that content or co-create that content with our clients, but we use our own voice. And we are very, I guess, um, firm on if it's our voice, we present it as our voice, that the, the brand has paid us to make that voice authentic to us. Um, mm-hmm. And we use our style guide and we use our approach. But increasing, and the reason we started that was because back when I started this platform, um, there wasn't a lot of content marketing in the market. There wasn't a lot of marketers out there making content marketing. So we found we needed to be the creator of good content when a brand wanted to educate or inform this demographic. Over the years, um, I believe that the marketers and the the PR people have become really good at this. So we don't need to do it all in-house anymore. Um, And increasingly, we can really shoulder up with marketing and PR teams and say, actually, if you do it in your voice, we're okay with that as long as the consumer knows. And advertorial for us is performing at 15% 15% click-through rates from a page right now. I have never heard these types of numbers wow. in my industry before. Mm. But if we put ads all around it, we curate it very, very well with the brand to solve the problem of the consumer and present a product or solution that people actually want. Phenomenal numbers are coming through these things if they're targeted to the right audiences. So, so how do people actually find your content? Do they where where do they follow you? Or are you always um, yeah, we are like uh, we're we're very ready permeating this industry this demographic. Um, so we have um, a very strong Facebook following, probably one of the most engaged Facebook pages in Australia. But people don't talk about us as a benchmarkable site um, in media for some reason because we're not in the young sexy field, right? So we're we're okay with that. A little bit bitter, but you know, it's <laughs> the bunion, it's the bunion cream. Yeah. Oh, look, if it works, I mean, why wouldn't you speak to the consumer about their problems, not a twenty-five? Yeah, I sense. once went over to New York and met with the heads of Good Housekeeping, and and she she pulled me into a room at the time a couple of years ago and said, "It's a really funny thing, you know. We've got to serve red lipstick and talk about red lipstick for young, that's really for young people, but our audience is mainly over fifty-seven. Don't tell the advertisers." 
Wow. It's it's a real problem in media that nobody is truthful about the messages the consumer wants to hear. A six-year-old doesn't want to be sold a vanilla Fiji holiday in that's being sold to a 23-year-old who's looking for a flop and drop. A six-year-old's looking for an adventure and a uh, you know, somebody to carry their bags and everything to be organised and some entertainment at night and stuff. They want to get away from being doing nothing at home, right? So it's a completely different curation voice that that people miss in marketing. Just listening to you and thinking that it sounds like there's still ageism is still alive and well in Australia, judging by what you're saying. If if advertisers or marketers don't want to readily admit that they're, uh, I guess, targeting an over-60s consumer, even though they're benefiting from that spend? Absolutely. And and they're, they're quite open about it many times in marketing. And, and so they should be. If you're a good marketer, you know which audiences you're getting for nothing and which ones you're getting for something. Um, for us, the best partners are the ones who want this consumer graciously and keenly um, because we can stand beside them. Um, if their product's good, especially, like that's where we love it. If it's a great solution for a problem of an over 60, then it makes great sense for us to point to it. Um, if it's not a good solution, we, we very often stand back and say, you know what, we're very value driven as an organization. We need to, we need to make content that educates the consumer about the good things in life here and the hard things in life. And that's our, our mission. And Gria was also asking about, you know, how people find you. You do a ton oh, yes. of yes. tons of newsletters. Um, how does that fit less into these your... days? Less than less than we used to. Um, oh, well, we uh... are we are working the user journey very very hard. The we have one daily emailer a day for media. That that's our daily. It's called the Starts at Sixty Daily. Comes out at four o'clock every day. That is a combination of content from the newsroom, uh, our experts from the Retirement Guide, the Lab and some integrations from travel and e-commerce um, and then advertisers as well. So that would have usually 10 to 12 slots on it. It is an incredible open rate. Um, we get 45-ish percent open rate on that email. Um, we also have commercial emails that go out for travel and e-commerce that brands place content with us on and that the lab and the retirement guide content go into. That's all we do by email. We do an awful lot on Facebook Um we, we have a very sticky audience. They share our content very readily. We have a lot of Facebook groups as well into which we place content that is aligned with the focus of the groups. So gardening groups get gardening content, um, books groups get book content, health groups get health content, and, and they self-perpetuate content for us as well. They keep each other engaged. Um, so a lot, of PR, a lot of PR would kill for that newsletter open rate. What are your tips around that? Um, it's it's all in the skills of the media team. They're amazing. <laughs> They're <laughs> good, amazing, content. Right? good content. Good content. Yeah. Good content. Do not disappoint your audience. And um, I think that is very, it's, as I say, we are a curatorial place. We have to curate. If we just become the news of the day regurgitating what other news is doing, we lose the reason for the user to open it. We have to only be for over 60s and we have to be cool and we have to pick the right voices to work with in freelance, expert, and blog. It can't be sad and sad and lonely. Um, it's got to be got to be about real life. People have got to have voyeurism for the information and insight. Um, and that's our job: it is to just make something that continuously evolves. That isn't. Uh, I guess magazines used to be quite repetitive. You could always guarantee that Better Homes in Spring was the same how to pot a pansy, right? Um, 
we can have cycles, but we have to also be linked to the news cycle and linked to the relevant changes going on in the outside world for this generation. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of change going on right now. So yeah, well, um, AstraZeneca versus Pfizer, for instance, how, how, how has that gone down in your community with the over 60s and then the over 40s with the changing of the rules around COVID? How's your audience been responding Look, there's a large percentage in this cohort, as we know, that have been uh, late adopters of the vaccine. And I've been a pretty, um, being the owner of a travel company, a pretty abrasive, um, I guess, uh, pro-vaccine person. And I do get the odd email saying, would you shut up? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, but, But ultimately, we don't get out of this mess without vaccines. This demographic didn't get a choice about which vaccine they would get. Some of them waited to see if they would get Pfizer. Um, they're not getting Pfizer. So, you know, they unless they have a, a health ailment, they're, they're getting AstraZeneca and, and they are eventually getting it. They are becoming eventual adopters now that society has mainstreamed. There's a proportion of this consumer that's a first adopter, but there is a proportion that will wait as well. Um, it's fun to watch how media can influence them. It's really quite fun. So you were saying that news is obviously needs to be your news angle really needs to be quite strong, especially Mm. when you're looking at your newsletters. So what can PR pitch you and how do you like to be pitched to? So a couple of of things I believe um, need to be pitched. So there's different ways to pitch different parts of our business. If you're pitching news angles, you're pitching um, angle against that news into our news team. So there's a very specific pathway in there through the news inbox. We also have um, increasingly an ex- a, a retirement guide um, function that's just growing now, uh, which is our commissioning editor. And she's commissioning stories that are relevant to the problems and the needs. And she's looking for experts all the time that can voice and stand for the issues and needs and solutions of them. Um, they can pitch actively and I would encourage you to reach out to them by email um, and I think we have two different email boxes, news at starts at 60 for the news team and um, editor at for the commissioning team. And those teams are being grown from here to service both split requirements. Um, stick with innovation and solution on the um the fixed side, because six-year-olds should hear about things that will improve their lives, um, and that's our game. For us, if you want confirmed booking and you want us to market your product, then that's come in through team at starts at 60com and, and we'll set up a marketing program with a deliberate bottom of funnel that you can point to and measure. That's the other way that PRs are working with us because PRs are doing paid with us quite a lot these days. Do you also do more, I guess, human interest style stories, like say there's a aspirational over 60 mm-hmm. person that's doing incredible work that maybe doesn't have any commercial angle to it? Do you do those sorts of stories as well? We love to find good ones um, and we love to find good storytellers too. I found a lady writing a fabulous column on caravanning around Australia telling the stories of people in caravan parks and it was so humorous and immediately we'll pick those types of stories up if you if you find them or know people we ask you to spread the word and get them to pitch to us um we we do very much like um human interest stories if we can find and and this is the key 60 year olds aren't interested in what I'd call the stuff they used to get in the local rag um and we just find the stories flop a lot of the time in human interest because they're not reading for the same purpose when they're in digital. 
as they are when they're staring at a newspaper turning the page. Uh, they're reading out of out of deep engagement with the headline and the the anchor, and that's just not there on human interest stories unless you have a very strong FOMO of information in it. Uh, it's it's a weird dynamic we've learned over the years that that nice ninety nine year old dancing in retirement village just just doesn't work. They don't read it. Who who does read that? Because you know there seems to be a lot of that around though, doesn't there? We don't publish a lot of it because it doesn't it, like the the editorial effort doesn't doesn't get a, a I guess a we we're motivated by a few things large readerships large moments of readership where you get a great spike and people are uptaking your content really great shareability we love that we're motivated by um, good product and solution good alignment you know stuff that's that'll help a 60 year old educating them um, I don't actually know who publishes that sort of stuff anymore unless it's it's deeply interesting to the other person. Or the younger audience um, looking to see an older person dancing is like, oh, look, that looks cool, like my granny. Oh, or look, and we're not in that know, NAS market. Of... We're, we're not in, yeah. I guess, stereotyping a de- an older demographic to be an old, an old, yeah. we're not in the TikToker, let's make 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 fun of a boomer kind of market. Um, we're just here what, to help our audience have a better life. What about that old, whole okay boomer sort <laughs> of movement? What, what does your community say about that? We, we play with it a little. I play with it over the dinner table with my parents. I don't know about you, but in my family it makes a great laugh when the, the teenagers are at the table with the grandparents and, and they actually have a go at each other. Um, and you see Channel 7's got a TV show on right now that's basically just generations handing off against each other. I don't like any of it. I think um, pitting generations against each other is a little bit, you know, media sensationalist and, and crazy. But for this demographic, they're very opinionated. They are who they are and you can't tell them to be something else. In fact, I have no role in telling them to be something else. Um, in fact, the more you accept that their opinion is the only way, um, <laughs> and you simply present a whole lot of different options and facts, and it's their choice as to how they use their bias and their opinion. We we tend to sit on the fence always as a platform, never political, never um, never um, telling them to go that way or the other. That's why we use sixty year old freelancers in and 60-year-olds in the voices of influence because when we're influencing, it's not us influencing, it's a 60-year-old influencing another 60-year-old. It's a really important way to speak to this generation is through experts and influencers. What's actually interesting for me, Rebecca, is my kids call us boomers, even though we're... Oh, yes, mine too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you all the time. Oh, you're such a boomer. Yeah, (laughs) and I try to say, no, I'm a Gen X, I'm not a boomer. I had this conversation Um, yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. The actual boomers, my kids see, they see the Gen Xs as cringy, my teenage kids, but they see the boomers as cool. So they love the TikTok granny dancers and the TikTok boomers. They actually love that and they think that the Gen Xs can't carry that stuff off. So the really young market see the really mature market as cool as opposed to us. What's the deal with that? Is it because we're their parents? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I can absolutely, I've got teenagers and they're all in the peak of their obnoxiousness. So, you know, I I can very much speak from personal experience there. Um, We aren't trying to play to other demos. It might be our, our downfall that we aren't trying to play to the other demos. We do have a TV ad running all over TV at the moment that is sarcastic. And I think the thing to note about the boomer generation is it's very, very witty and very sarcastic. Um, your parents, I have no doubt, are all quite cutting in their 
humor, humor. Right? and mine are they can have a really good sarcastic you know dig and absolutely so we use that in how we meme in how we in how we advertise on telly I mean we've got Jean Kitson on telly right now saying boomers are too old to understand online shopping oops I just bought a fortnight in Port Douglas and an outfit to go with it and it's kind of just taking the piss out of everybody's generational view of this demographic um but we don't do a lot of it because it's so expensive to do um to keep making video content and producing it for viral sake is a, a wave i think that might be a bit over in media um people couldn't monetize that that's interesting i think um, um one of the other things we wanted to ask you about too is that you actually use your audience to help brands understand the over 60s market, which I think is very important when you're doing PR work in particular and brand work because you need a deep understanding of the audience before you actually go out there and, and pitch to them as well. So what kind of, you do surveys, is that right, of your audiences? So if um, a PR wanted to know more, we could come to you and get a survey yeah. done? Yeah, absolutely. And for us, we've just released um, for the first time in two years the Boomer Guide, uh, which is a downloadable on our website um, under the advertising tab, which has about 40-odd pages of data in it around the consumer across health, travel, lifestyle, even feeling, like the way they feel, the sentiment they have towards switching brands. It helps marketers and PRs to understand but it also helps people to curate. I'm a big believer that the biggest mistakes we made on the journey in was thinking that we, um, as media, didn't have to do the work to find the solutions, that the solutions would just come to us for this demographic. Now that we really look at the problems, we work backwards and we say, hey, arthritis is their problem. We need to find a brand or a product that actually speaks to that problem and why they do it and understand what are the different ways of solving that problem for a six-year-old? And that's our editorial prerogative now because that's what my mother-in-law wants to read about. That's what mass audiences want to know about and that's what the newspaper isn't doing for them. It sounds like you're doing so many things. How did you actually get growing as a business to be able to, I guess, end up in, to be in a position of employing seven full-time journalists and having freelancers? And Yeah, we um, blessedly, we grew to a scale in media where we were able to pitch for venture capital. Um, back in 2016, Channel 7 invested in us, thankfully, and that gave us the capital to then build a scale-up audience. That business was always going to be multi-pillar, um, and the first pillar we went into was travel, um, but the media was was the doorway. And so that media operation is the foundation of everything we do, and it's now media and content, I guess, is the the transformation as we've had products and partners to work with. So does that mean that Channel 7 is a joint owner or did they just... Yeah, um... they own 30% of our business um, oh. and we've done a couple of other investment rounds since into the commercial pillars. So as we've grown, it's one business, but other investors have come on board, some really exciting, um, very well-known investment funds invest in our business. We're, we're a venture business. We're not a... Um, so we have to create growth. Uh, we have to be on the constant um, chase of you know, shareholder shareholder return, but also of creating a sustainable and, I guess, sensible business strategy that's going to take us to the next level of scale in Australia. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much. Good luck with those new next steps and thank you for sharing your insights into the over-60s media market. It's obviously a really vibrant 
community, you know, driven by news and innovation and obviously solution, and it's definitely something that shouldn't be overlooked by the PR industry. So thanks so much for your time. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Let's talk about our weird jargon word for this episode, PTCs or pieces to camera. They're sometimes also called stand-ups too. These are used by television journalists only and it's when a journalist speaks directly to the camera and looks straight down the lens, making what is basically eye contact with viewers. And when you're doing a PTC, it can be for a number of reasons. So often it's used as a connecting piece of vision between two parts of a story. So say, for example, in a story about parents and teachers clashing over an education decision, you might start with something about the teachers and then you might say something in a piece to camera like it's caused a deep division and parents aren't happy with the outcome. And then you hear the parent's side of the story. Perhaps you don't have enough vision to cover a section or a paragraph of the story, so instead you say that line yourself in a PTC. Another time you might use a stand-up is when you are somewhere significant at a scene of a house fire, for example, in a medical lab where they've just made a groundbreaking discovery outside Parliament House or at a protest march. It places the journalists in the moment of the story. And so this is where you as the PR person can help. You can find opportunities for journalists to do their pieces to camera that are interesting, unusual or helpful in telling a part of the story. So can you get access to the factory floor where the product is being made so they can do their PTC in front of the machinery? Can you give one of the products to the journalist so they can hold it up during the PTC and say something like, this tiny bottle could hold the key to curing cancer? To recap, a communications specialist can help by finding or providing access to an interesting location, finding a prop or product for the journalist to hold or demonstrate, or even something really cool for a journalist to do. But don't make it too crazy. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Unless they sign a waiver. Today's show host, Alison Langdon, recently did some terrible damage to her knee while doing a little bit of water sports for the camera. Actually, my worst nightmare, Joe. <laughs> oh, it totally actually is my worst nightmare, Greer. So, look, we've done um, a few things in our business. Like we found uh, for one story that we were organising a stadium that would let the reporters in um, to film their stand-ups in the centre and then they could say things like, you know, the number of people with this disease could fill this stadium twice. Um And in a story about drone safety, we organised a camera to be mounted on a second drone to to actually film part of the piece to camera, but also to zoom upwards and film them being filmed doing the piece to camera. So, you know, it's really great to be creative in this space. We did a really cool one once actually uh, with a journalist who was in one of the factories where we were manufacturing food. One of the things that we had to get a special permission uh, let off the hook (laughs) slip for um, was they they had to wear really ugly hairnets as part of their health and safety and hygiene protocol. So we just found a little section in the factory where she could get away with having her luscious locks on full display. They've got to look pretty too. Yeah, they've got to look pretty as well. I mean, she was wearing the gumboots and the the lab jacket, but uh, we did get her off the hook in terms of the ugly hairnet. And look, we'd love to hear some of your ideas too if you've had journalist pieces to camera that you've organised. Hop on socials and let us know. 
This has been season two of our passion project. It's PR Darlings. And we're going to be taking a little bit of an intermission and we look forward to welcoming you back in season three. Subscribe if you want to be the first to know when that drops. I'm Greer Quinn from Forward Communications. And I'm Joe Stone from Sticks and Stones PR and together we are your PR Darlings. Thank you.